Welcome to Speaking of Recommendations, a wholly owned subsidiary of Speaking of Tangents podcast. I am your host, John Fitzpatrick, and I'm happy to be here. I think uh, regular listeners of the podcast know. From time to time, uh, Jason and KJ have challenges in getting uh, themselves and a third chair together. And uh, rather than have no show at all during their uh, normal slot this week, they have asked me to come on and uh, do an extension of what I have done when I have sat in the third chair. Apparently, I am just full of recommendations. Take that as a good thing or not a good thing, depending on what I recommend. But after my last appearance um, in the third chair, I had a good number of recommendations, and I had some left over. (laughs) So after that podcast, they said, well, maybe you'd like to come back on and, you know, sort of finish up your list. And then later that morphed into, hey, maybe you could do a, maybe you could do a fill-in for us. And so I'm happy to do that. And that's why I'm here today. So I'm going to... Do, you know, a shorter than normal uh, speaking attendance uh, podcast uh, episode, but uh, try to uh, skip across the media waves and give you some thoughts uh, about uh, things online and in film and music and elsewhere that uh, might meet your tastes. These are not only mine, but uh, ones that come recommended to me, and so I pass them on in true speaking of recommendations. Well, new, I guess, speaking of a recommendations tradition. So I'm happy to be here. I hope you're happy to be here. And let's uh, dig right in. So we're going to start off our recommendation segment with uh, things we might find streaming online. Uh, you may be uh, subscribers to um, any number of uh, streaming services. I am a subscriber to only a few. I am not a true cord cutter. Although I have my own and some bootleg <laughs> passwords, I guess everybody has this combination of, you know, ones they pay for and ones that somebody else pays for that they use. And the younger you are, the probably the greater the imbalance and paid for not paid are. Uh, that's a totally, that, that is a totally inappropriate generalization um, that might also be accurate. In any case, um, streaming. So uh, starting with some Netflix stuff, if, if folks uh, who are listeners here are also listeners to Kornheiser's show. You know he has rather amusingly um, um, become enamored of the fact that stand-up comedians are funny and that you can go to see them either in person or online. And he saw Nate Bargatze's recent set and talked about it quite a bit. Um, if you are a Netflix user, you can find Nate Bargatze's The Tennessee Kid uh, online, and uh, he is quite funny, just as, as TK describes on his show. There's another uh, recent um, debut on Netflix, and I'm not a big Netflix stand-up special viewer, but somehow uh, these these two uh, crept into my, uh, my list recently, and I watched them both. Seth Meyers' Lobby Baby. Now, Seth Meyers is, uh, has long been the late-night host of, uh, of his show that's on at 1230 after The Tonight Show, and he was the head writer on Saturday Night Live, and we all know him from that, and you like him or you don't like him based on all those things. I happen to be a big fan. I think he's a smart and funny guy, and we know we value smart and funny. So uh, Seth Meyers does a stand-up special, full length, and that's not, not a format that I've seen him in. I'm used to the you know sort of five or so minutes at the beginning of his show, and then he interviews people, and he's generally funny. Um, but of course, he's a talented guy and uh, goes on stage quite a bit. Uh, 
Kirsten will be glad to know this this episode that or the show that he was that he taped was in Minneapolis, and so there's some Minneapolis humor there, uh, some humor at and for uh, um, uh, people of the Twin Cities. Um, but he uh, also tells the story the, the story of his second child being born in the lobby of his uh, building, which is where the special gets its name. So uh, if you're a Seth Meyers fan. Um, uh, or if you're not, uh, give it a uh, g- give it a watch. Um, also on uh, Netflix, and I actually just finished this up last night. So with recency bias, I will say that this is a very good uh, series. It's a it's a two season series called The End of the Effing World, and um, it is uh, two. S- Two seasons uh, debuted in, I think, early 2018, eight episodes each. And this is a, it's a very interesting show, um, very uh, different in style from a lot of straightforward um, uh, storytelling uh, uh, dramas or comedies, and it's a mix of all those things. Um, it is about um, a young man and a young woman, each of them somewhat troubled in their own way, and they go on the run. And they have um, adventures, um, they have a criminal adventure, they have romantic elements to this adventure. And a lot of the coverage of this um, spe- uh, series has sort of drawn on the long tradition in film of a young couple going on the run. And the sort of the mix of, um, you know, glamour and crime or interest, if not glamour, and, and, and the criminal mix uh, in their stories. And this goes back, you can take the Bonnie and Clyde, the way Bonnie and Clyde in real life were uh, glamorized in the press as they were pursued, um, the way that that was reflected in um, the Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway film uh, from, from the 60s about Bonnie and Clyde. And recently in another, um, now I'm just, this is just occurring to me, there was a there was another, um, uh, I think it was a Netflix special called The Highwaymen, Highwaymen uh, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson, um, going uh, as the sheriffs that chased them down. Um, so there's a tradition there. There's another Woody Harrelson connection because there are other films other than Bonnie and Clyde that f- tap into this whole um, genre. Um, my favorite of those is a movie called Badlands, uh, which uh, came out in the very early 70s with Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek as the, as the two, uh, as the young lovers uh, uh, on the run. And, um, and then you have the Quentin Tarantino versions of this. Uh, the movie called True Romance that he wrote but was not able to direct um, was written by... Um, uh, it was written by Quentin Tarantino, but... Um, directed by Tony Scott and starring um, uh, what's his name um, see now here's where I need you know KJ or or um, Jason in the first and second chair to say oh yes um, um, this is who did it um, of course it was is Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette uh, in that one and um, uh, and then later, um, Oliver Stone made the film Natural Born Killers, which was also based on a 
Quentin Tarantino script, and and this element of this uh, young couple on the run. In each of those, however, there's sort of a highly amped up uh, emphasis on their criminal endeavors and and their doomed fate. And I think what's interesting about the end of the effing world is um, that while there is a, a criminal element to the story, that's not the primary emphasis um, of the. Um, uh, I'll say their criminal acts are not, but the consequences of and the circumstances that led them to the criminal act in, in season one and um, what the effect is on these two troubled uh, people and, and how they uh, each, though they're challenged, the, the young man believes himself to be a psychopath, but um, uh, as we later learned, he is simply a really emotionally crippled young man. He's 17 years old. The girl is younger. And um, she's somewhat anhedonic and, and not really able to um, um, enjoy um, relationships. And then something happens to her. There's a crime committed. And their, and their um, uh, bonds go stronger while they uh, remain on the run. Um, in season two... Um, the consequences of the act in the first season uh, plays out in the addition of a new character that's pursuing them and um, not as interesting as the first season but still uh, still compelling and a good watch. So The End of the Effing World um, gets my uh, recommendation from, uh, from the Netflix and the streaming realm. So now let's turn our attention to the more old school version of um, uh, video entertainment film, and um, I thought uh, if I re if I recall my last uh, ep episode with uh, Jason and KJ, I made a recommendation for a Twitter follow that's funny called the Bot Lebowski, and if I did not do it, if I'm remembering that incorrectly, then I'll add it here at the Bot Lebowski, no spaces in that, and it is simply a um, Twitter bot that daily kicks out quotes from the Big Lebowski. Now, the Big Lebowski, we don't need to talk about it anymore here. I think it's been talked about plenty on the podcast at different times, and certainly I have. Highly quotable. Um, in many circumstances, the quotes are standalone. They become a currency between two people when they both find out they're fans of this movie. And somebody says something, and then the other one says, well, that's just your opinion, man. You know, that is uh, the dude in his essence. Um, but I, I, there's, a th there's a thread that I became aware of, not a Twitter thread, but a line uh, connecting a series of movies, and I want to pull it out for you here. Um, because The Big Lebowski, as a film, as a Coen Brothers film, is actually an, sort of a, a twisted homage to a certain type of other film and other story, and it is the film noir, specifically the Raymond Chandler novel-derived films uh, that got their start in the 40s with The Big Sleep, with um, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, and, and this thread of movies that begins with that one and, and connects through The Big Lebowski and a couple others that I'll tell you about is really, is really sort of an interesting and standalone thing that I never would have caught on my own. But once you see it, um, you see the things that they have in common. They have, you know, a fair amount in common, and they are the um, the, the notion of a um, s sort of a long and rambling investigation by a private investigator, 
in Los Angeles of events that are much larger than him, that uh, interconnect some really big players in large conspiracy kinds of ways that aren't immediately evident and have nothing to do with how the investigator got started looking into matters in the first place. And that's the nature of the Big Lebowski, right? The guys break into his break into his apartment and ruin the rug that really tied the room together and he goes about trying to get his rug back and he gets into this whole complicated conspiracy kind of criminal mess and 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 that's what happens in The Big Sleep where um, the um, detective played by Humphrey Bogart gets pulled into this um, you know ordinary case that turns out not to be so ordinary, and Lauren Bacall is this alluring uh, character who first draws his attention, and then it's her father that gets, uh, he's a big rich guy player, Uh, he's apparently up to no good, that leads Bogart's character to investigate all these threads, none of which hang together in a traditional narrative, and this is another part of these a part of these these stories. These are not tightly um, uh, uh, wrapped narratives that show you in a procedural investigative way, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and here's how it's all connected. Most of these things are loose ends. They go off in one direction. You never know why you met that weird character or they went to that place. And um, it's really hard to sort of keep track of what's happening, except that you're compelled by these characters. In the case of Bogart and Bacall, it's them. In the case of another movie that came along in the early 70s called The Long Goodbye, and Elliot Gould plays the Sam Spade character, the investigator that gets started. And, and then here we have, uh, so, so the, the Big Sleep was a very 40s, you know, sort of rat-a-tat-tat, black and white, everybody's glamorous and smoking and wearing hats indoors and all of those kinds of things. And then then you get the 70s and um, The Long Goodbye, which I believe is a Robert Altman film. And so it's he's himself, you know, given uh, to um, um, making long and, and, you know, sort of rambling and episodic movies that don't necessarily hold a tight narrative. And so you've got Elliot Gould doing this, but in a very 70s L.A., and people are out there, and they're dancing, and they're wearing the weird clothes, and he observes these things going on on the balcony of the people across from him in the complex, and that draws his attention, and suddenly that gets him involved in some weird conspiracy. And he is so detached. It really, really, it, it, he, he, he personifies this sort of 70s who cares kind of notion, which sort of updates the format from the, from the 40s version and then takes you there. Um, it's, it's, you know, weird in the way that a lot of 70s movies were, had their own particular, uh, you know, weirdness, and, um, and he's entirely watchable, um, Elliot Gould, um, whatever you think of him in the more famous films that you've seen him in, and, and, um, you know, MASH and all the others, um, this one is a particular thing to watch, so I recommend that. The next one in this series then becomes The Big Lebowski. And, of course, we have the dude drawn into the conspiracy. He's completely unknowing most of the way. He, he wanders in, uh, sort of uh, compelled by his outrage, and then pushed either by the John Goodman character or 
or the um, uh, the um, uh, what's her name, Julia. Um, anyway, the female character that's that's the ex-wife of the of the other Lebowski, and so um, the the, uh, uh, the way that story just rambles, and it's funnier than all of the other ones. Um, in ways that uh, yeah, you don't need me to explain to you. But the next one in the series then becomes um, Inherent Vice, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. That was uh, that was uh, that came out you know three or four years ago, and this one is you know very um, uh, really a cousin to the Elliot Gould version. Um, it it. Um, Features Joaquin Phoenix as a sort of a stoner detective hanging out in L.A.'s, um, you know, the beach towns just south of the airport in L.A. And he gets drawn into um, a conspiracy, again, by an alluring um, uh, young woman. And the things that he's about to dig into are not the are not the things that anybody expects by what she asks him to do. Um, it's the most modern of these. It's the most sort of realist in terms of the way that uh, political activities drive um, criminal conspiracies. And, and in this way, they have a little bit of uh, connection to the film Chinatown uh, or L.A. Confidential, in which case there's, you know, the, the, the political aspect and the big movers and shakers that are... That are in there. Lots of really good performances in there. Josh Brolin plays a corrupt cop who's just um, every time he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off him. Benicio del Toro is a weirdo in all his movies, and he brings that to this. Um, Owen Wilson, oddly enough, ends up uh, as a not. It's not odd that he's an oddball in this, but you know he shows up and has a uh, particular part to play. And uh, so anyway. Um, these are the four movies then that if you're interested in any of them, then maybe watch, you know, the next of them to see if it uh, it scratches an itch for you. The Big Sleep, The Long Goodbye, The Big Lebowski, and Inherent Vice. So you probably know where we're going next, and that is uh, to Twitter. So um, I like to uh, pass along uh, fun and uh, entertaining. If you want informative uh, Twitter recommendations, um, you'll have to look for them in another segment because they're not coming from me here. I already mentioned uh, the Bot Lebowski. There's another one that is similar to that if you're a fan of Mad Men. There's a Mad Men, a Mad Men quotes uh, Twitter follow at Mad Men QTS, um, and it kicks out uh, not daily, um, but regularly and often as commentary to what's going on in the world that day. Some quote or exchange that happened in a Mad Men uh, episode. Usually it has a photo associated with it. I don't know who produces these things. Um, but they've got access to the sort of archive and the full um, um, photo and, and uh, dialogue archive of the show. And they're usually just right on whatever's going on in the world. Here's, a, here's an exchange between you know, Don and Peggy or, uh, or somebody else to, um, to sort of brighten your day. So that's a good one. Um, if you are interested in 
and, and I'm not going to go full impeachment inquiry here, but there's an interesting uh, politically related account that I like to recommend to folks. And it is at Dick underscore Nixon. So there's a individual out there. He's a writer. I, I, can't, I can't quite remember too much about him. He originally did this for years in sort of secret, and then he he um, later uh, let his identity be known who he was who was doing it. But at, under, at Dick underscore Nixon tweets in the voice of President Nixon as if he is still with us and um, and monitoring what is going on in the world today. So he will comment about things in current political circumstances, whether that's the impeachment, whether that's presidential uh, debates, whether that's some action taken by a particular politician in one place or another. He often adds really sardonic um, uh, examples from um, the Nixon era to reflect on things that went on then and and before. Um, He has a um, follower who um, tweets in the persona of President Nixon's personal valet, um, Manolo Sanchez, and it's at Manolo Sanchez, and, and you can see the interplay between these two accounts. Manolo Sanchez, truly the um, uh, the president's valet while he was in the White House and at other times in his life. And so these are um, uh, smart, uh, funny. Um, he has the voice of President Nixon down. He's obviously read a lot, um, um, listened perhaps to the tapes and has the cadence and the, you can see it in the voice. Um, and occasionally um, Ron Ziegler, who was the President Nixon's press secretary, takes over the Twitter account and tweets some clarification of the president's position. So it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Um, much more modern and so much more modern than me, but I enjoy it all the same, is a t- uh, Twitter account associated with the Washington Post at Dave Jorgensen, uh, D-A-V-E-J-O-R-G-E-N-S-O-N. And Dave makes um, videos and explicitly posts them on TikTok, the app TikTok, um, to um, uh, create outreach between the Washington Post as a newspaper and as a journalistic enterprise to the young generation that is so much younger than I am and um, obsessed with TikTok. I know about TikTok. It is clearly aimed at a demographic I am no longer in. Um, There's loads of stuff on there I've been entertained by. There's loads of stuff on there I've been mystified by. But Dave Jorgensen, who also tweets, so he posts his stuff every day on TikTok and then he tweets it out, which allows an old guy like me to follow along. Um, So that's what... um, that's what uh, uh, drags me in, and, and he's funny. Sometimes it'll be about the events of the day. Sometimes it's just about life in the office, um, and he's a pretty smart uh, uh, Twitter follow uh, as well. Um, shifting from uh, Twitter to other forms of online entertainment, um, I want to point um, provide recommendations for two podcasts when you run out of the Speaking of Tangents archive and you need something else. Uh, one I will recommend that's in the style of a serial um, uh, is called Bear Brook. And Bear Brook is the story of a murder uh, mystery uh, that occurred in New Hampshire um, among some, uh, some uh, a family who was... Um, uh, members of the family disappeared and they weren't really noticed. It really wasn't noticed that they were lost. 
the, the circumstances for why that is are explained in the first uh, couple of episodes. What's fascinating about the Bear Brook story is that um, it, 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 like serial, it has some develops that are occur- some developments that are occurring in real time with the weekly installments of the of the uh, 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 of the podcast. Um, some bodies are found in a park in drums, and this leads to some um, ability to do some genetic testing, and it highlights the uh, utility, the forensic utility of all the Ancestry.com and 23andMe, all the growing databases of genetic material and the ability to connect identities of unknown people through their genetics. And so that is the you know, wheel in which the story turns, in which the mystery gets solved, in which the identities of people are, are become known, and it affects some people in, in real life when, uh, who, who are not known to be connected to this at all that find, find out about it. So it's a fascinating story. I, I feel like it played out over eight or ten episodes, and then as the, as the updates came that followed the production of the episodes, there's one or two others. So that's a very interesting one called Bear Brook. Um, my favorite podcast, it's out every Thursday. It is called The Slate Political Gabfest, if you need uh, really smart and engaging people to help you uh, explain or understand or get a better understanding of things that are going on in the country each week. Um, David Plotz, Emily Bazelon, and John Dickerson, each of them originally affiliated with this publication Slate, now separately New York Times and 60 Minutes and Atlas Obscura, but they have, for 10 or, or 11 years, done this uh, weekly get-together, in, in virtual get-together in, in a podcast form. And they take three topics uh, that are going on that week, and they explore them. And uh, I find it to be refreshing, very uh, uh, objective and, and analytic. It's, it's also very warm and funny and uh, hope-giving if you are a person that needs to find a place where people can be hopeful about the American culture. It's a good place to go. So that's the Slate Political Gabfest. Um, I want to finish up with music. And um, uh, the, the, I have a couple of different ways to go on this. I've got old guy and new guy, or maybe it's old guy and father of uh, young women. Uh, but I, my musical influences are many. Um, I... Uh, am an old guy, so um, when I decide to stop listening to the best of Boz Skaggs or Steely Dan or something and find something new, uh, I, I, uh, I have ways to do that and, uh, and have that interest. So I'll give you a couple of recommendations. Um, modern rock, uh, if you will, uh, uh, a band called Spoon. I think I recommended Spoon uh, when I was on with... Um, uh, the, the show the last time they had a um, compilation. I can't really call it a greatest hits compilation because they're really not hit makers, but they're uh, uh, best of or best output or a really good compilation, whatever you want to call it. It's called Everything Hits at Once, and that is uh, uh, essentially a playlist. Uh, it's also a, a hard album, but but in the modern world, it's just a collection of their um, some of their best songs and one new track and that that's, you can find it on Spotify and Apple Music and whatnot. So Everything Hits at Once by Spoon. 
Um, it wouldn't be an old guy segment if I didn't tell you about a blues record that you can't get <laughs> on uh, uh, on Spotify or Apple Music, but you should find a way to go find it anyway. I didn't look to see if it was on YouTube. I just uh, I just don't know. But this is a, this is a, a blues guitarist named Clarence Spady, and Clarence Spady um, was performing. Uh, uh, he still performs in uh, New York and Philadelphia on the East Coast. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what he's not a he, he's not a uh, he's the kind of guy that has to ha work another job and and uh, do music on the side. And so his production is scant. But about 20 years ago, he put out an album called Nature of the Beast, and it was hailed as you know this guy's the future of you know modern blues. And and um, of course, he didn't have another album for almost 20 years. Um, and, uh, but if you can find Nature of the Beast and Clarence Spady, uh, you will be uh, rewarded for it. Here, here's a, some blues rockers that you can find um, uh, online right now and on Spotify and the other ones. And that is the Marcus King Band. Marcus King Band um, has a, uh, an album out right now called um, uh, Carolina Confessions. And they also have a self-titled album. You can hear both of those. These guys are, you know, old school blues rock. Um, uh, if you think um, sort of Allman Brothers, um, um, Leonard Skinner with sort of a Chris Stapleton soul-influenced vocal front. Um, really good. Um you know they are they're touring they're coming here to dc in a few weeks and i'm hoping to get out and, and see them i've experienced them only on spotify but they get my uh they get my vote for uh for a new listen in an old style of music for a new listen in a new style of music i'm going to turn to one of my uh one of my younger daughter's recommendations um she is uh, a a music experimentalist and she goes and listens to all kinds of stuff and and serves some up to me and so i want to recommend to you and i and, and i recommended um a, a, a band called snail mail to you last time and uh, stylistically this one's a little the same and a little bit different this is a a norwegian pop singer called sigrid and uh, sigrid had a hit a couple years back called don't kill my vibe and she's got a an album out now called Sucker Punch, and um, because when my daughter gets in the car and takes over the DJing with the her iPhone, I get to hear really good stuff, and I really liked it. And it's uh, uh, just what it sounds like. It's modern pop music, uh, very listenable, and and uh, uh, you know somewhat anthem anthemic in style and. Um, uh, and so give Sigrid a listen if you uh, need to tap your foot and, um, and you know, sort of feel good about stuff. So that's Speaking of Recommendations, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Speaking of Tangents podcast network. I'd like to thank KJ and Jason for asking me to do this. I'd also like to invite you to send me your recommendations. There's a possibility we'll do something like this in the future, and in which case I'd like to forward recommendations that you have for the crowd. So my DMs are open. You can reach me on Twitter at FitzJohnP. Send me a DM, send me what you think, and um, listen up to Clarence Gate Mouth Brown as he takes us out. Thanks very much.